0: If you brought a copy of scripture with you this morning, you can find the ninth chapter of the book of Exodus as we conclude our series, Journey to Freedom, and we will be putting this series and study of Exodus to bed for a time, and Lord willing, we'll pull it up again around the Passover season, otherwise known as Easter, and uh, we'll look forward to that then. So Exodus chapter 9. Well, both Iowa and Iowa State fans should be happy today. It's no secret that I'm a Cyclone fan, and um, my wife and I were watching the game, getting ready to go to a wedding rehearsal. We, we had to drive a, quite a distance to get to and so basically one foot in the house, one foot out the door, watching the games getting down to four minutes left in the game. The clones had been up. They blew a big lead. And so Texas was ahead. And Iowa State had the ball. They were driving. They had the most pathetic drive. And they had to punt the ball with less than four minutes left. I was so disgusted. And I stood by the doorway and I said, I can't believe this is happening again. And my wife said, Dear, it's a game. (laughs) I said, thank you for giving me my opening illustration for my sermon on idols this morning. (laughs) Indeed, Philip Ryken, writing to Americans as he addresses these plagues that God was putting down one after another, the gods represented in those plagues, Writes this, one day God will do the same thing to the gods of this age. The average American is not very different from an ancient Egyptian. We still worship the same gods, only the names have changed. What we count on, what we work for, what we play at, what we dream about, these are the gods that we worship. And what matters most to most of us is personal prosperity. We depend on our economy every bit as much as the Egyptians depended on theirs. They worship the Nile, we worship the Nasdaq. They're just two different names for the same God. One day, God will glorify himself in America the way he glorified himself in Egypt. He will triumph over every false god in order to prove that he alone is the creator, the provider, the giver, and the sustainer of life. If that happens, when it happens, he writes, it will show where we have placed our ultimate allegiance. If you've been with us in this series, you know last week we've already studied these first four plagues that God sent to pummel the gods that the Egyptians worshipped, this polytheistic, pantheistic culture. Today we look briefly and get right at it five more. And so chapter nine, the livestock and the plague, the pestilence that God would hit them with. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me or worship me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold, uh, still hold them, behold, The hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock. Watch this, parenthetical line. You might want to underline it because it's going to answer the question that people have as they march through these plagues going, wait a minute, if all the livestock die in this plague, how are their livestock left over when the other plagues happen? Here's your answer, that are in the field. The horses, donkeys, camels, herds, and flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So that nothing, all, of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Hebrew is emphatic here. And watch this. And I want you to pay attention to this next line. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And he would. And every single one of them would die. All the animals out in the field would die. But the exemption to the Hebrews is also emphatic in the Hebrew. The Hebrew literally says, not so much as one died. Now, we don't know what this pestilence was. Uh, We just know it was the first to bring death, destruction, and literally wreak havoc on the Egyptian agrarian economy. And it's no fluke, verse 4 tells us, that God now is protecting his own people in the land of Goshen. Right there in Egypt, they're protected. None of these plagues from here on in affect them, which is a miracle, of course. And again, as we've been saying, it's not like God was hitting one, knocking out one god for every plague he had. He was knocking out dozens with every plague, perhaps. And this is no exception. There were several livestock-type gods that the Egyptians worshipped. We're not going to bore you by listing them and tell you all of them. We'll mention one. The one was Apis, the bull god. And if you've seen the Ten Commandments, you've seen the the bull that the the Jews, remember when they finally get extracted, they're out in the wilderness. And while Moses is in the mountain, they create their own god out of the fire. Remember Aaron? We'll see that, Lord willing, in the days to come. That was probably a likeness of Apis. because And that tells you that for these 400 years that the Jews were in captivity, the gods that the Egyptians worshipped, they were not completely separated from them. They were impacted them. They wanted to worship them. But what I want you to spend, and by the way, he's the the, the bull god, Apis. Uh, uh, There was a temple in Memphis, not Tennessee, (laughs) but Egypt, where the sacred priest would always keep a sacred bowl on hand uh, that, that would thought, was thought to be the, the incarnation of Apis. <laughs> you know, we go to the state fair and we see the, the champion in a pen. Uh, they worship this one. When our state champion dies, we, we eat him. <laughs> when theirs died, they, they had a big celebration, big funeral. At any rate, what I want you to do is look at the fifth verse, and I had it underlined, and the Lord set a time. See that? the lord set a time and that's what he does our times are in what his hands god sets times job put it like this man's days are determined and god has decreed the number of his months and set boundaries on them which he cannot exceed have you ever read that you cannot exceed you know, we say your days are numbered. That's, that's a biblical thought. Your days are numbered. And just the other day, the chief, this chief of the Supreme Court Justice of the state of Iowa was walking his dog, had a heart attack, and died. His times were in God's hands. And in the same time period, a leader in one of the major church planning movements, a personal friend of mine, had a heart attack and lived. Our times are in God's hands. There's an intriguing passage of scripture in the book of uh, Revelation. I'll show it to you in a minute. But here is, here is uh, Jesus talking to the church at Thyatira. They were guilty of idolatry. They were guilty of sexual immorality. And this is the intriguing line. Jesus said to them, I gave you time to repent. I gave you time to repent. Sometimes we read statements like this and we think, well, I have time. You presume upon your time, which is just exactly that. It's very presumptuous. If our times are in God's hands, they're not in ours, amen? And just when you think you've got time, you need to remember the story that Jesus told of the man who was just amassed an enormous amount of wealth. He said, what should I do with all my wealth? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down the barn that I have. I'll build a bigger barn because there's nothing like having a lot on hand. And you remember what God says to him. Here it is. God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be what? It will be required of you. So be careful when you think. You have time, and you're messing with idols. Let's go to the sixth plague, boils, boils. We're going all the way down. By the way, just the same song, fifth verse, sixth verse, seventh verse, every single time Pharaoh hardens his heart, God hardens Pharaoh's heart, seems to be happening simultaneously. I still haven't heard a great explanation for the two of them. They're both true. And verse 8 says, and the Lord said to Moses, and Aaron take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh and as a result that plume would put forth the plague that would create boils and by the way some of these nat these Plagues mirrored natural disasters that took place. But because of the miracle, you know, the Jews being exempt, the, the, the sudden catastrophe, Moses praying, there's all kinds of things that show that they weren't. there was nothing natural about them. But there have been recorded plagues, even in Egypt, of these when the sun uh, heats up the, the Egyptian land to 120 to 130 degrees, blisters appear on Egyptians and animals, grotesque outbreak of boils... At any rate, there are several gods that God was knocking down with this particular plague. One of them was the, the god named Nut, who would obviously be going nuts when this was all over. And another one, Shemet. Shemet was the god who was supposed to be the god who, who put away epidemics. So apparently, they, again, they're shown to be anemic. They're shown to be weak. No gods at all. But Moses was instructed to take his hands and put them into the soot. That came from the kiln. Did you see that? And throw it into the air. Did you know the Egyptian priest did the exact same thing? That's, that, was, that was a ritual that the Egyptian priest would do. They would throw soot in the air to bring blessing upon the land. So you see what God's doing. He's inverting every one of these curses. So the very thing that would bring oppression. And, and by the way, these would be from the very kilns that the Jews were making bricks from. So that which represented oppression and suffering for the Jew has now been flipped on its head, is bringing the same thing uh, to the Egyptians. And the magicians are even afflicted. The rest of the passage, the context of the magicians, couldn't even stand before Pharaoh and try to replicate the miracle because they had boils. It would be funny if it wasn't obviously so painful. That brings us to the seventh plague, in chapter 9, verse 13, this is the longest recorded of all the plagues, the hail plague. And it was not just a normal hail. I mean, it was, these were, this was hail that was killing animal, destroying everything in its, in its path from heaven to earth and men. And it was, it, was, it was accompanied with fire. Have you ever seen hail with fire? That's the kind of hail that took place here, wiping out everything. And this, is, by the way, this is the reason, we, well, we'll get to the mercy of God in this in a moment, but um, I was in, at Epley Airport in Omaha a few years ago, and it was right after a hailstorm had gone through. I was with a friend, we were walking through the parking lot to go to the airport, and I'm not kidding you, hundreds of cars, not one of them was exempt. The hail, ha- they said there was softball, softball-sized hail. There wasn't one car in the parking lot that was outside That's windows were not completely annihilated. Dents, huge, huge tennis and softball-sized dents all over the hoods and cars. They were, every one of them was annihilated. Just imagine coming back from vacation to meet that. I I want you to see God sort of pulls back the curtain and shows the theology behind these judgments in this passage And I want you to make a beeline to verse 15, where it says, For by now, this is God speaking to Pharaoh through Moses. I could have, you should underline that, I could have put my hand, put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. What's he saying? He's saying, I could have done this in one fell swoop, rather than the ten. That my name, watch this, but, but this, verse 16, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God was doing at least four things, putting at least four things on display during this hail and all the other plagues. One was his patience. He was displaying his patience. Do you see the line again? I'll give it to you again in verse 15. I could have. I could have. As in creation, this is the theology of it all. Sometimes we, we look at the creation account. In six days, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. And you think, I mean, yeah, that's a lot to do. I'm sure he was exhausted after all that. Well, no, because God is omnipotent, Right? He never gets, nothing ever tires him, nothing ever makes him slumber. So why did God take six days? Well, we're told, we'll get to it, Lord willing, next summer, that so that he could give you and I a pattern. So he tells us in Exodus chapter 20, you're to work six days and take a break every week. Why? Because in six days the Lord created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. So there's your reason. There was order, there was purpose, there was plan, and it was all playing out. Again, he says, I could have. Sometimes we, we presume upon God. God could just put the wood down on you and me right now for the things that we do to violate his word and his will. But he doesn't because he's a patient God. Aren't you glad? But we're like the, we're a little bit like the mice that my, I've, I've got, uh, one, of my, one of my kids had a, Mice issue. It's, it's always nice to have 10 kids. You never know which one you're talking about. And so they bought a cat. And I said, I, I said, I said is, is he a good mouser? He, my son, I just whittled it down, says, uh, yeah, except he never kills them. He just catches them and plays with them. I said, you're kidding me. He says, oh, no, no. He goes, he'll, that cat will play with him, and then the mouse will get away, and then he'll pounce on him again. And he'll do that for, for a long period of time until he just wears the mouse out. The, he just lets the little varmints go and then pounces on it again. I thought to myself, that's just the way you and I are sometimes when we presume upon God's patience. We think we're getting away with it. We think we're getting away with, our, with the worship of our idols, whatever they are. He, you're just like a mouse in the hand of God. He'll, he, he's going to pounce on you in his time because our times are what? They're in his hands. They're in his hands. So God is displaying his patience and his power. And you see the words used there. In fact, in the 16th verse, the Apostle Paul quotes this verse in Romans chapter 9, verse 16, as he talks about the secret of God's dealing in, in, with the whole issue of who he Chooses and doesn't choose who he judges and why he judges and why God is always justified. He is always righteous in all that he does. He's also displaying his name. You see that used there. Your name, O Lord, the psalmist wrote, endures forever. Your fame among all generations. There's two things that God is always in the business of displaying, his name and his fame. That's what he's doing here. That's what he's doing now. That's what he wants to do in your life. And his mercy is on display. And I need to read this to you because we don't have it up here. I'm just gonna read it because he's talking about this hail which is gonna devastate everything. But in the midst of it, notice what he says in verse 19. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. Now anybody reading earlier might think, I thought the livestock were all dead. This looks like a contradiction. That's why I had, you, I had you pay attention to the third verse that says that are in the field. See, the word of God is never contradicts itself. The, the, the livestock that was sheltered wasn't killed, so that livestock's out, and he's saying, get your livestock in for safe shelter for every man and beast that's in the field that's not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and livestock into their houses. Even they're waking up to this. But what mercy. What mercy. And let me just say this. Friend, there's a storm coming. More, much more devastating than this one. And it won't be a hailstorm. It, it won't be hail fire. It'll be hell fire. And while this plague had a conclusion, the one that some of you are facing will never end. And so God, in the midst of his judgment, his justified judgment, continually shows us his mercy. And he said to the enemies, to the Egyptians, and he's saying it to you, come to me for shelter. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, There's your shelter. They're not just a new creation. You're safe. You're protected. You'll be free. That's the mercy of God, amen? The eighth plague is locust, and we have to skip down to the 10th verse. Again, in every plague, uh, Pharaoh starts to give in, weakens a little bit, starts to compromise, then hardens. The locust, in chapter 10, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so they can worship me. Locusts are then unleashed by the billions. Have you ever seen a video of locusts? I bet a lot of you have. You can go on YouTube and see them. Locust swarms and plagues still occur. In places in Africa, their swarms have been recorded. They're always about 100 feet high. They have been recorded between four, wait for it, and 40 miles long. They are eating machines. When a locust plague occurs, which happens again about every 10 or 20 years in various parts of the world, even in the States, when locust plagues occur, they, there's no stopping them. You cannot stop them. They just devour everything in their path. They are the farmer's worst nightmare and rancher's worst nightmare. And there are at least five known gods connected to the crops that these locusts were devouring. But what I want you to see is the little nuance. In every one of these plagues, God throws a little nuance in there for us to learn. He tells us in verse two, this one here is for storytelling. Why don't you take your son, plop him up on your lap and your grandson and tell him the things I've done. Tell him how I've devastated, how my judgments came in. These miracles were meant for future storytelling. In fact, in chapters 12 through 15, which we'll get to, Lord willing, in the months to come, God says several times, record these things so that when your kids ask, what's going on here? You can tell them. Life events with clear, God-only type of explanations, are are meant to be recorded and rehearsed. You have made your wonderful works to be remembered, Psalm 111, verse 4. Have you ever read that? Listen, if you think about it, we're in the Thanksgiving season. You have to think to thank. Isn't that true? You have to think in order to thank And this is the reason, when you think about God's delivering power in your life, that should cause you to be so grateful to God. And by the way, it does beg the question, what are are your kids going to say about you? When trial came into your life, were you bitter? Did you become a curmudgeon? Were you complaining? Were you always whining? Did you go the other way? Or were you one that though suffering, though tears, you trusted in God, you were You were fierce in your walk with God. you got to hand it to to Pharaoh's servants in this plague. And while we're not reading the whole thing, I mean, they'd had enough. In the middle of the whole thing, they they come to Pharaoh and they say, Egypt is already ruined. Let them go for crying out loud. They're, They're killing us. But the story is the same. Just when Pharaoh acts like he's going to, pulls back. And doesn't. But look at that again. Egypt is already ruined. Let's just take hit the pause button for a moment and look at your life. Those of you who are wrestling with some idol in your life, whatever idol that may be, an external idol or an internal idol, it will ruin you. And in some cases, it's already ruining some of you by your decisions, by your priorities, and it starts almost always in the home. Husbands not leading, wives not managing, they're managing everything else but their homes in some cases, and it's ruinous, and it will be ruinous. And don't miss yet another compromise by Pharaoh, who represents Satan, to compromise, which we talked about last week. So, in the middle of this, I mean, you got locusts, they're everywhere. He finally caves in and he says to him in verse, I think it's in verse eight, yeah, but exactly who will be going? He asked Moses. (laughs) He already knew. Moses has already made it clear you got to let us all go. We're all going. Wives, kids, cattle, the whole nine yards. What is Pharaoh doing? He's doing exactly what Pharaoh's been doing in many of your lives for a long period of time. This is one of his greatest tactics in compromise. Write it down. It's the word stalling. Stalling. Yeah, I know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll think about it. I I know I should. I mean, January's coming. I mean, you know, that's when we all make those commitments, right? And that addiction, that idol, that weight issue, whatever it is that you're dealing with, that is your idol. You have already been in the clutches of Satan by the compromise of the stall. I was a wrestler. And there's one thing that referees would not put up with and they still don't to this day and that's stalling. You get penalized for stalling. And you and you, you you actually get disqualified for stalling. I've seen it happen. It's the it is the most if you want to know what the most demoralizing thing in the world for a wrestler is, it's to be disqualified for stalling. And it happens and some of you are facing dis- disqualification right now because you continue to stall it's a tactic that is as old as the days of pharaoh by the way there's coming an invasion of locust that will make this one look like a an ants at a picnic The book of the Revelation, the ninth chapter, tells us that God will bring locusts upon this world that will attack not plants but people. They won't strip plants. They'll sting people. They'll have the power of a scorpion. I talked to a missionary several years ago from Africa who told me, he says, the thing about scorpions is they don't kill anybody. They just cause excruciating pain. He says, I've seen African men, powerful African men, bent over in sheer agony over a scorpion sting that don't kill you. They just cause pain. And the book of the Revelation says, When these locusts sting, it'll be like a scorpion. It'll last five months. You'll wish you could die, but you can't. And that is a depiction, a picture, a prophecy of hell. Strong words, I know. Speaking of which, one more plague and we're done. Darkness, chapter 10, verse 21. Chapter 10, verse 21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be, say it, felt. Ever had that kind of darkness come upon you? So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place. Imagine that for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. The Egyptians worshipped several gods related to the sun. But none was bigger than Ra. Pharaoh himself was thought to be the incarnation of Ra. And did you notice how many days? Three days. Just three days. Apparently Ra and company around vacation during that time. And notice, it, it, again, Pharaoh, in this whole spirit of compromise, says, you can go, get out of here, go, only let your flocks and herds remain. Before it was, keep the, keep the wife and kids behind, now just keep the cattle behind. Again, and again, and again, it's the same. Just that little compromise, don't make the clean break. The nature of darkness is to deceive and one of the deceptions of Satan is to not completely break with your idol. Just sort of keep it there. I can always go back to it. I want you to look at verse 27 because he's had enough. Moses, said, no, we got it. We all got to go. So Pharaoh just this then his anger just he just comes unleashed, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go and Pharaoh said to them, "Get away from me. Take care of never to see my face again." For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, okay. The one who for three days couldn't even see the hand in front of his own face now tells Moses, if I ever see your face again, you're a dead man. The truth of the matter is, the only one facing death was Pharaoh himself. And shortly. Now we're going to put this series to bed. You're welcome to study ahead if you'd like. We'll pick it up again in Easter. And speaking of which, did you notice how many days this this one lasts? Three days. Three days of darkness. And when Jesus died, there were three days of darkness but the resurrection changed everything. Amen? Still does. It Still will for you. The Bible describes hell as a place shut out from the face of God, from the presence of God. And it's reserved for those of you who are like Pharaoh with hardened hearts. Samuel Rutherford wrote this, Oh, my Lord Jesus, if I could be in heaven without thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it would be a heaven to me, for thou art all the heaven I want. Those are beautiful words, but I don't think a lot of us relate to them. What makes heaven, heaven? I'm asking you the question, what makes heaven, heaven? If you listen to the book, read the books and watch the movies, it's people, It's people. It's it's my husband that died. It's my wife that died. It's my kids that died. It's my friend that died. It's my grandpa and grandma. And seeing them again, that's going to be heaven. Which is exactly what many of you are thinking. That's what you think of with heaven. But if that were true, why would the rich man in hell beg Abraham to send Lazarus to his five brethren? to warn them not to come where he was at, if their presence would be a heaven to him. The truth is, their presence where he was would only have made his hell a worse hell. Now there's a theology we might need to rethink. When it comes to your idols, you'll notice that this is very much like The point you saw last week. A little nuance here or there change. Satan doesn't mind lengthening your chain so long as you're still on his chain. Remember that one? We're talking about compromise. And if you want to break the chains that bind you, you need to put away the sin behind you. Completely. Break with it. Stop flirting with it. Stop teasing it. Stop keeping it out there. Cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, hello class, cut it off. Satan doesn't mind lengthening your chain. He's all about that, just as long as you're on his chain. You're not going to change God's mind, but you must let God change yours, and that's called repentance. To repent means to change your thinking. Turn away from the idol like like. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's following Jesus. Don't call yourself a follower of Jesus if you're not a follower of Jesus. I talked to a woman a couple of weeks ago that I I prayed with, I prayed the prayer with several years ago. There's nothing about her life that says she's a Christian. And I'm talking to her and she said to me, "I I just want to share the gospel with people. I want to say, please don't share the gospel with anybody because there's no evidence. Thirdly, you can keep following your idols, but sooner or later, they'll what? They they stunk last week, they'll just ruin you. They will ruin you. And don't mistake God's patience and mercy for weakness and forgetfulness. I asked you to memorize Vance Havner's line last week, remember? Can't expect God to take away our sins by forgiving them if we're not willing to put them away by forsaking them. Here's another one Aim at heaven. C.S. Lewis said, You'll get earth, you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you'll get neither. You'll get ruin. That's what you'll get. If you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you get neither. And to aim at heaven is to aim at Jesus, the author and finisher of our life, who will make heaven, heaven, while making earth worth the wait. Amen? Amen. Worth the wait. And finally, God will not exalt himself in you until you exhaust yourself of your idols. And for some of you, your idols, be it external or internal, are the only heaven you'll ever know. You've already found out over and over again, they don't really meet your needs, but you keep serving them. And when you finally get to the place you're going, you'll discover even there, they, they're powerless to help you. God will exalt himself. Make no mistake, whether in life, this life, or in the next. There's a, There's a movie that just came out. I haven't seen it, but it's based on a true story. It's called Ford versus Ferrari. Back in the 50s and 60s, racing was huge, and the Europeans were always kicking our heinies. Ferrari ruled. Ferrari's in financial difficulty at the time, and so Ford tried to buy them out, you know, because you can't beat them. (laughs) Buy them. Didn't work. And uh, so, sets the stage for this competition, which I won't tell you what happens. I haven't seen the movie, but I know what happens. About that time, in the same time frame, the Fram Oil Filter Company came out with a commercial that was absolutely unforgettable, with a motto that almost everybody who lived in those days remembers to this day. They'd show a mechanic with the Fram Oil Filter, and, you know, saying, you know, talk about this car and the problem with this car, and he'd say, you know, you can use the Fram oil filter. Here's the deal. You can pay me now, or you can what? Pay me later. Look, you can pay attention to these messages on idolatry, and you can pay God now, or you'll pay forever later. But I have good news for you. He already paid it for you. All you got to do is accept what he's done for you. Put away your idols. Place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for your sins, who died for your idols, who died for those things that you are unwilling to get rid of that shows you're not a true follower of Jesus to begin with. Trust him today. Place your faith in him today. And he will save you. Believe that he died and rose again for you. And be free. Be free. There's nothing like being free from an idol. And serve the living and true God. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these awful judgments that depict and picture so many things in our own lives. We thank you for the heart of Pharaoh because our own hearts look like his so often. We thank you for mercy that's woven into these deserved justices that you were meeting out in Egypt. There is a shelter. It is your son. And we must go into him if we want to be saved. And dear friend, if you're there sitting here in prayer right now and you would say, I'm tired of serving my idols. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want a relationship with the living God. Then believe in Jesus today. Believe that he died for you. Believe that he rose again for you. And tell God that in your heart. Turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus right now in your heart. And be saved. Lord, I pray that you would revive us. That you would cause those individuals that are in this room who are stalling, those who know you but are stalling when it comes to their own personal idols, to stall no more. That their faith might be, as James said, activated and real. And in the end, Lord, may you be exalted. Because we're told that in the end, because of his death and resurrection for us, you, dear God, have highly exalted Jesus. And you have given him a name which is above every other idolatrous name. And that at the name of Jesus, pay me now or pay me later, every knee will bow every tongue will confess that he he is lord to your glory dear god and forever thank you lord that in reality he paid everything we don't have to do anything but trust from our hearts and make us a trusting people and true followers of you we ask in jesus name amen let's stand